Memphis, 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 Nothing but Memphis. Everywhere we go, it's Memphis. Memphis, Tennessee, the beautiful land in the world. And I'm thankful for this, this guy who tweeted and said I don't have that fire in my eye no more. That game right there was for him. That's what I do. I prove people wrong each and every night, and that's for him right there. Hi, this is Tom Izzo at Michigan State, and you're listening to Grizz 901. Hello and welcome to the Grizz 901 podcast. Hope you guys are doing well. It's the start of another beautiful week in the 901 or wherever you may be. For me, I'm in Salt Lake. We're about to hit triple digits. It's not going to be super fun for me, but that's okay because we're back here with another episode of our deep dive series. If you've not been with us for the past couple of episodes, we just started a deep dive series where we're going into different players on the team, their roles, what they did last year, what they could look like this year. Are there going to be changes? Are there not? Whatever it's going to be, we're going to have it for you here at Grizz901. And we're going to be pairing it with some articles, but we'll get into that later. But Without further ado, I'll talk about what we're going to be doing this podcast. We're going to be talking about one Desmond Bain and one Brandon Clark, two of some of these what we consider cornerstone pieces to this young core with the Grizzlies. BC, maybe not so much, or depends on where you land. For me, I thought he was a piece of the core. We'll have some questions about that later we'll get into, but Desmond Bain, absolutely a piece of this young core, really came on last year, had borderline all-star numbers or all-star numbers if you consider Andrew Wiggins a true all-star. But here today to discuss this with me is the man, the myth, the legend, who's going to be talking about Desmond Bain in great detail in an article later this week, Ian Sparks. Ian, how are we doing, man? Doing well, man. Yeah, I heard, you know, you said you're triple digits in Salt Lake City. We were finally getting some, well, somewhat cooler weather back here in Memphis. You know, it's been raining here for the past few days. I think it's going to rain a little more this week, so. That's a good sign. Uh, yeah, no, super excited to talk about Desmond. Uh, I think I said this in one of my first episodes uh, when I joined. Um, he's my favorite player on the Grizzlies, not named John Morant. Um, just what he brings to the team, you know, obviously the shooting. But uh, my favorite part of this last season, uh, I'll go ahead and say, was, you know, him and LeBron, you know, shaking it up a little bit. Oh, yeah. Him saying those uh, footsteps on scaring nobody. So, I mean, yeah, he brings that edge to the team. And also BC, you know, um, I think I would also say he's part of that core as well. Um, curious to see what his future is, but yeah, we'll dissect that a little bit more. Absolutely. I'm with you, man. I think once that Kenny Lofton Jr. craze is sort of past its its phase, we're going to be back to everybody believing in Desmond Bain or not believing in Desmond Bain, thinking Desmond Bain is their favorite player on the team. I say thinking because Dylan Brooks is going to be coming for six man of the year, but that's okay. That's That's for another podcast for another time. Desmond Bain, though, let's start with him because I, I sort of am exactly with you on the moment that had me sold on Desmond Bain was a them big old footsteps and scaring nobody moment, right? Because I think I think Des, especially in his first year, he was behind Grayson Allen. D'Anthony Melton was really coming alive that season as well. He sort of was like this baby-faced bandit type of guy, right? Like he didn't really seem like he was loud or outgoing. And all of a sudden, you see him taking on – the personality we've seen so many guys come and take on this team, which is we don't back down from anybody. We There's no Goliath that we're afraid of. And seeing the attitude come out showed in his play too, right? I mean, it showed in his play when you're going up against uh, whoever it was, the Timberwolves. He's the guy carrying the team when everybody else seems to be struggling. 
He's killing guys away from home last year. You get him in a FedEx forum, you never know what's going to happen. Remember, he had a good game at FedEx forum. Like, finally, he does it in Memphis too, right? But he just has that edge to him. But I want to go back to that beginning part. Coming into last season, they had moved away from Grayson Allen. And that move away from Grayson Allen was a little bit of a hit or miss, depending on which Grizzlies fan you were, on whether or not that was the right move to make. I personally wanted Grayson to get moved, not for Bain, but for DeAnthony Melton, because I thought that Bain would get into the starting lineup and he would be a great role player next to John Morant in that starting lineup. But personally, I wanted that to happen so he wouldn't take minutes away from Melton in the second unit and Melton would have his Mr. Do-Something chance really get in there and affect the game, which I think did happen in the regular season to an extent. There's the COVID stuff. He was a little bit iffy after that. but what ended up happening was that Desmond Bain was no role player for the Grizzlies last year, right? He improved in every facet of his game, and it was awesome. But those are my expectations, and obviously it surprised me. What were your expectations for Desmond Bain coming into this past season before he blew up? Ah, Really, it's hard to, I would say, expectations. I mean, obviously in his rookie year, he averaged about nine points a game. Shot a really, He made over 100 threes as a rookie, uh, like 117, I think, was the exact number. Um, I certainly didn't expect him to be what he was this past season. I'm not saying I didn't think he had that in him. It's just is his second year. Um, I didn't know. I mean, I don't think really anybody could expect that. You know, for him to take that huge leap from where he was in his rookie year to the you know this past year. Um, it was certainly a delightful surprise. Uh, because every time you you know he shoots the ball, you're like, okay, there's no way he misses, right? Because he's just that guy. He's a sharpshooter. Um, but it was really encouraging to see, you know, the running joke was, and we've talked about it a little bit, his rookie year, you know, he has those big, huge shoulders. He's a big guy, and he would just slam the ball into the floor. Uh, you'd think he'd break the hardwood at some point. <laughs> um, that's really what was encouraging to me, though. I mean, it's, he, he added a little bit more touch to his game, which is good to see. Uh, he, he was able to take guys off the dribble, take it inside really well. Obviously, him being able to shoot the mess out of the ball opens that up a lot more. You know, uh, I think Brevin Knight coined him the Flyby King, FBK. Uh, great nickname, by the way, Brevin Knight, if you're listening. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I Wiggins making the all-star team and Desmond Bain not, at, that's definitely some golden, you know, some San Francisco bias right there, West Coast bias, uh, in my opinion, because I think he had, argue, you know, just as good or maybe even better season than he did. Um, yeah, no, I mean, he definitely blew my expectations out of the water. I mean, I maybe at most I expected 16, 17 points a game, which is still a, a big jump. It's like doubling, it's doubling his points, you know, from his rookie season last season. But he had about 18 points a game last year, so I was pretty – it was pretty close. But really the you, – you, you know, this what I love about Chris's, you know, y'all's last podcast was you talked about Steven Adams. Um he said he didn't like to look at a stat line and be and just like, oh, hey, this is what you go on. I mean, obviously, 18 points a game, that's a good stat line. But it's just that edge he brings to the team. Obviously, we talked about it. Um, he was a real quiet guy. Nobody expected that from him, and myself included. But uh, him, you know, shaking up with LeBron and a few times this past season, you know, one, you know, once in L.A. and, you know, obviously in Memphis. And uh, I believe it was, a Minis- it was the Minnesota series where um, – uh, he was beside – I forget their head coach's name. But he That's was finished. beside 
Chris Finch. Yeah, he's a, he's a new guy. Um, he was, was standing beside him on an out of bounds inbound, and like there was, <laughs> they had a disagreement or something. And Desmond Maiden's like, "Dude, <laughs> move! Get out of the way! Why are you standing here?" And rightfully, because he's all in his business. So I mean, I just love to see that he exemplifies what everybody else, well, majority of this team is. He doesn't take anything from nobody. He fights for he fights for his game, and he just he's fun to watch. Well, he's just not backing that from anybody. Whether it's LeBron, whether it's Chris Finch, which he got teed up for, but I mean, every Memphian understood what he was saying, like, get out of the way, let me play basketball. But uh, Julius Randle in New York, man, he just not running from anybody, right? And that's what you want to see out of your young guys. And to fit in this team, that really has to be your attitude, right? It's like when Killian Tilly was talking trash to Giannis, which Killian Tilly is not Desmond Bain, but listen, that was I became an instant Killian Tilly fan when I saw it, right? But the the attitude goes so far, especially with this Memphis team. It's what's going to carry them even further this year. But with that, even the stats, though, while it's not necessarily the end-all, be-all, the stats showed what Desmond Bain did last year. A lot of times, like with Adams, you got to see certain things in his assists and in his rebounds. You got to see him have a renaissance year. You could see that in the stats. What you didn't get to see with Adams was – the way he was sitting on the screen assist, the bounce in his step, the energy he brought to the team was on the floor, even the rim protection he's able to help Jaron provide. But with Bain, you about saw everything that he improved on last year come through. The points per game obviously doubling up from 9.2 to 18.2 showed that he, the ways he improved his scoring were just astronomical. I mean, he was able to knock down threes at a crazy high clip, but honestly – that wasn't much of a change from his first year. He only improved his three-point percentage by, I think, .004, if I'm correct. And so he barely boosted up, but he did it on taking two, almost three more attempts per game. And then you got to see his assist went up by a full assist per game. His rebounds went up by a full rebound per game. Everything he, he improved on. But I think the biggest thing was exactly what you were saying before, which was an improved handle with the ball. He looked so much better with the ball in his hands, and he wasn't just taking shots, right? He wasn't just a standstill shooter. He was getting the flybys. Yeah, he was able to do side dribbles. He was able to hit step backs. He was able to do a lot. But what I love from Desmond Bain, what I think is going to be key for him coming into this next year, we can talk about it in a little bit, is that ability to get something off the dribble in the mid-range, right? Because he showed the ability to knock down pull-up threes. He did in transition. He'd do it coming off a screen. It didn't really matter. That mid-range shot, he was consistent on, but I don't think he was as consistent as he can be, right? I think that was just the beginning stages of that. But that is going to be the biggest thing. And even with that, he was able to do things off the dribble pretty well. I think we saw in the playoffs, he still was about to crack the hardwood a few times, right? Like every time he was taking the ball down the court, I was like, don't let him push you to the corner. Don't let him push you to the corner. And then they push him to the corner. And I'm like, dear God, somebody go get the ball, right? Like there was still room for improvement, but he was a second year player, right? And you don't see that kind of production from second year players often. But I mean, you have the flybys. You have the mid-range. I think personally, the thing that impressed me the most was probably the thing that was the most subtle about his improvement offensively was his ability to cut and get himself open. I mean, him and Adams had that connection, but 
his ability to cut and get to the basket was what I was super impressed with. Um, he was just able to do that at a level that opened up the offense for everybody around him, right? But he also was able to improve defensively. I think that was sort of under the radar. He's not a big guy. But he's able to keep up with guys. Then use his sort of smaller frame to still stay in front of those guys it was really impressive for someone his size, right? He has smaller arms. He's a bit of an undersized guard. But what I would hesitate to say that his ability to get to the rim is the most important aspect of his game heading into this next season. And probably not the most important aspect of his game, even from this past season, that was just what I was most impressed with. That being said, I'm interested to know what you think as far as one, what he showed this past season, but two, what he could be improving on this season would be the most impactful, most important parts of his game in both respects, if that makes sense. It's a little bit of a wordy question, but I think it makes sense, right? Yeah, I, th- I think I got it. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm with you on the mid-range part. Uh, there's a clip that I'm going I'm going to attach in my uh, deep dive article that I, I'm going to put out. We're going to put out Tuesday or so um, of him against LeBron. And uh, I mean, I'm, I'm I don't say this lightly. He put LeBron in the blender because he. Uh, I mean, obviously, you know, you got to respect his three point shot. So he took that to his advantage, and he's like blew right past LeBron for a layup. So I think that if you get, I mean, he obviously he did get better in that aspect, like you said, um, cutting to the rim, make, getting his own shots, really, really, you know, impressed with that as well. About the mid-range game, though, I'm interested, um, and you could, this might be a question for you as well. I want to see if he maybe develop like a, not like a step back, but like maybe like a, I don't know, like a, just some, some way he can get like an open shot in the mid-range consistently, because that way he'll be able to shoot it from outside very well and do it consistently well shoot from the outside really well go to the basket and score and you know shoot it from the mid-range really well maybe like adding a step back to his game or what do you think i he can hit step backs step backs in the mid-range are a little bit different because i feel like those guys who have really elite mid-range games are long dudes because the guys who come to mind are you got Kobe, who was really, really long, but also he just had every move in his bag that you could possibly have, right? He just could create out of anything. Um, Kevin Durant, super long. Zaire is a guy I want to see that from this year. He's super long, right? I mean, Jamal Crawford, Lou Williams, Jordan Clarkson, they're not all the biggest dudes around, but they're super long, especially their arms, right? And that's just not Bane. And so if he's going to be able to improve that mid-range game, I think it's going to be something that I would like to see him improve, not only in the mid-range, but from three as well, which is the ability to shoot that shot on the move, right? Like the guy who really comes to mind when I think about it, and it's kind of interesting that, you know, he's been on this guy's podcast already as a guest is J.J. Redick. J.J. Redick would come flying around a screen. I mean, he would be full sprint, catch the ball, and in all one with one thousandth of a second, he's just got that shot off. And it's money right I mean if Desmond Bain can get that down where he can hit that kind of shot I mean what are you going to do right the the problem is that's a super difficult shot right there's a reason that only a handful of guys in the league are able to make shots like that but he's athletic enough to do it he has enough in his game where he's able to do that just at a decent clip he'll have guys that'll fly by on it he'll be able to just get himself open 
just faking that shot, right? But if he's able to get that shot on the move, not having to be standstill, that opens up all kinds of doors for him. And in my opinion, that's the thing I want to see him improve on the most. If he can create off the dribble, awesome. I don't think there's a ton of room left for him to improve in that. If he's able to, then awesome, sweet, great. I just don't think that's going to be his skill set. Do not think that's going to be his skill set, sorry. Moving forward, if he's able to get that shot where it's full sprint in the blink of an eye, get it off, then, yeah, that would be absolutely incredible. But as far as the step backs, the fadeaways, you got to have a little bit of a fadeaway, but he's never going to be doing the dream shake. Kenny Lofton Jr. from <laughs> from the corner, right? It's that's never going to be his game. But um, I don't know. Am I am I wrong on that? I just I just think his length score gets in the way of that. Yeah, I mean he does have. If you're comparing arms, he's on the shorter side, you know, wingspan wise. Um, I mean, yeah, and no, I'm with you. Like you said, that's a really tough shot to make that on the move three. But if he can do that, like not even that, like an elite clip. You know, something to make the you know the defense respect it. That like you said, opens up a whole plethora of uh of a, you know of choices for him. Um, but yeah, no, I I, mean, I agree with you. I mean, I don't. I was just wondering, you know, I was curious your thoughts on it. Um, I agree. Like you said, I was I was really waiting for you to say Zaire Williams though, because I know I know we've uh, yeah. I'll say this before. I think Chris has done this as well. Zaire Williams is not Kevin Durant. We will say this right now, um, but it's good to see you. I was waiting for you to say something like that. I was smiling about it. Um, and um, you did say something about his you know, defensive, uh, maybe on that side of the ball. You know, he did in his rookie season, um, this is in steals per game. You know, he doubled, I mean, 0. 0.6 to 1.2. He averaged a steal a game. Um, I mean, I, he did, I mean, even just beyond that, just on the ball defense, he did improve a good bit with that. Um, I mean, I don't see him. I would love to be proved wrong. I don't see him becoming this elite defender that, you know, you would put on anybody in the, on a team. But, I mean, he does play physical defense. I mean, that translates to his game overall. He's a very physical player. He's not afraid to also, you know, translate his mentality. He doesn't back down from anybody. I mean, yeah, I think he's about where you're going to get him defensively. Um, overall, I think he's – right now what he is is probably what he's going to be for you, which is good because, I mean, 18 points a game is – it's pretty dang good if you're if you're looking at it. Um, I mean, if he can make that jump to maybe 20 points a game, having two 20 points a game scores with him and John Morant would be fantastic. Um, but I mean, if he stays in that range right there, I mean, I don't see. I mean, there's definitely not a problem there. Yeah, and there's a couple of things I want to talk about. You just you were just mentioning, which is one on defense. He is obviously undersized, like we've been saying, but he's got super active hands. Right, that 1.2 steals per game. Um, it's nothing that's going to knock your socks off, right? But he is constantly getting his hands down there when guys will be driving to layups a lot. He's never going to be a guy that meets him up top, right? Unless it's the Wizards and you have one that's unforgettable highlight play that'll be on reels for the rest of Grizzlies, uh, however long the Grizzlies exist. But in general, he's not going to be the guy that's getting him up top. He did a great job of getting guys down low and swiping down on that ball. To the point where I would almost get frustrated because you got Jaron in there. And I'm like, dude, just hands up. Let Jaron come in and clean it up, right? But Jaron's not going to be there for at least a small amount of time this year. We'll see how long that ends up being. We're going to see that on display, right? And he's only going to improve on that end as well. But what I love is he gives you maximum effort on that end, right? Like, I think with Ja, 
you see the same thing undersized. But when Ja is up against whoever, like you see him take a person, especially with Luca, he's he's locked in. You're not going to just blow by him, right? You might go through him, you might go over him, but you're not going to go by him. The thing with Ja is he's given so much on offense. He's only going to be able to give you so much on defense, right? He falls asleep sometimes, and it's just one of those things. You're like, you take it. I mean, the dude is just carrying the load on offense all the time. With Bain, though, he's giving you everything on that defensive end, and that's what you need from guys. And he's only going to get better. Again, he's only going to improve skill-wise, and he's already got a great natural tendency there. The other thing you were mentioning that I really – I think this might be the last thing we talk about with Dez because there's not a ton to say um, that hasn't already been said. We know he's awesome. But predictions for next year, I really want to get your thoughts on what he's able to accomplish because you're talking about him jumping from maybe 18 points per game to 20 points per game, which is – not out of the realm of possibility when you're thinking about it, right? A hundred percent could happen. I personally think if Desmond Bain jumps from 18 points a game, 20 points per game, either something went really wrong with Memphis injuries wise, something along those lines, or two, he's all-star close to all NBA this year, because with Jaron, I really thought was going to be the guy who's going to bring the new scoring into this year. Obviously, that could still happen second half of the year, maybe even last two thirds of the year. He may be back sooner than we think he will be, but he's not going to be there anymore. You're still bringing back Dylan Brooks who only played like 30 something games last year. I can't remember off the top of my head. It was not much. And you're going to bring him in. Zaire is going to be an improved score. I think you're only going to see Steven Adams add little wrinkles to his game. You know, it's not so much teaching old dog, new tricks. It's, getting an old dog to use his old tricks that he didn't necessarily want to use, right? Because he got a bunch of scores out there. Ja's only going to continue to improve as a score. I think Ja probably does a little bit more facilitating this year because he hears all this stuff about Trey Young being a better playmaker, which is a joke, but he's going to, we're going to see how that goes. But I just don't know if the shots are going to be there for Bane to go up. I could easily see him losing shots. It's hard for me to see him getting a bunch of extra shots. So I'm looking here. His average field goal attempts per game were at 14 and a half. That's not a small number, right? Then you're going to insert Dylan Brooks back into that starting lineup. I just, I could see him getting 12 shots a game being about right. Now, maybe not. Maybe he adds stuff to it and he's able to keep getting more shots. They draw up stuff for him. Dylan really embraces his role as sort of a six man. You know, there's, there's all kinds of possibilities for that to happen. That being said, I think it's more likely he loses shot this year, but improves on his efficiency. I could see his three point percentage staying exactly where it is. I could see his just overall field goal percentage improving. Um, I could see him doing some more facilitation, et cetera, being a super efficient scorer, but still scoring less. But that's not to be a negative Nelly. It's because the team, I think, is going to be all around much better. I think Bain could say exactly where is it, 18 points. I think asking the add points may be a stretch. But I want to get your thoughts on that because I'm only one man. And I've been known to be wrong. I think David Roddy proves I'm often right. But we won't get into that today either. So what are your thoughts on Bain? Do you think that I'm sort of not giving him enough credit on that? Or do you think that's the team might improve and there might not be as many shots to go around? No, I mean, I don't think you're not – I mean, I don't think that at all. Um, I think that's a very good point. I do think 
if everything goes the way we want it to go, you know, with Zaire stepping into a bigger role, scoring a little bit more points, Dylan coming back and say he doesn't do this, he breaks the six-man role, but he somehow, you know, is more good Dylan than bad Dylan. Um, I think that would be good like, for the team overall. Um, I think what I, I think what I was just trying to say is I think he has that capability of getting to that 20 points a game. Oh, yeah. um, but, I, you know, I could easily see him losing, you know, some shot, you know, some attempts per game, um, not many, uh, maybe like two or three a game, uh, which is still, I mean, that's still a decent bit from you know, where he's at. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't say it's – I wouldn't say it's being negative. I'd say it's probably being realistic, honestly. Um, because on, if that does happen, like you said, um, that means that the team as a whole is improving. Mm-hmm. Because I know we talked about it before, but – Say Dylan Brooks accepts that six man role and Zaire Williams starts at the three, which would be that'd be pretty, yeah, that I'd be pretty excited about that. <laughs> but also, you got some other guys coming in. I mean, I don't know how much they're going to score a game like you know, LaRavia, Roddy, and Junior mm-hmm. over there, but uh, I mean, they probably won't get many, you know, looks a game, but yeah, uh, but those guys you mentioned, I, I mean, I could see that happening as well. I do think that he'll stay probably close around 18, maybe I'll give him 16 to 18 points a game this year. Now, with the efficiency thing, though, that would be great to see if he if he does. I mean, look at his stats. He averaged 2.7 assists a game last year, which isn't terrible, you know, for a two-guard. Um, maybe he he looks for shots for other guys. You know, maybe, like, them having to play without Jaron opening stuff up a little bit more. Um, but, yeah, no, I mean, I, I'd have to agree with you on that. Uh, I'm still expecting big things from him, though. I, there There is a little piece of me that wants to say he does get the 20 points a game without Memphis – not tanking but you know not playing very well yeah and listen it's like i said i think it's it could be one of two scenarios i think it could be something went wrong i think it could be no he just went that great right and when we talk about him being efficient it's not that he's been an inefficient scorer right i mean last year his field goal percentage was 46 percent give or take his effective field goal percentage was right around 57 percent so he's been an efficient scorer we're not saying that i'm saying that there's even more room for him to improve and their shots where he was not as consistent as we've seen him be when he's able to really sit still and take some of these shots, right? So there's just room for improvement. But with Bain, again, I I think that Jaron being out sort of hedges what I thought my expectations for that would be, and Bain stays right where he's at. If I had to say what was going to happen, I think he takes right around the same thing, probably 14-ish shots per game. He stays right around 18-ish points per game. There's a chance he jumps up to that 20. That'd be awesome. But with Jaron out, I say that if Jaron was still going to be healthy and playing, I would definitely lean towards that he's going to get less shots because I think Jaron has a storm coming that is going to amaze people. Um, him not having a full offseason to work on it definitely hurts that a little bit. But I said it on our last uh, the big summer podcast where you, Chris, and I were all on here. I'll say it again. I think it's going to be an up and down ish year and they're going to find it at the end. And Jaron's going to be a huge part of that, but enough of that. That's for another day. All that's a Bane, I think is going to be awesome this year. I think he's only going to get better. I think he's going to show new wrinkles to his game in the mid range and his ability to shoot off or shoot on the fly. I'm sorry. There's going to be a lot of stuff that he's going to be able to do. That's going to be impressive. So not much to say other than he's been awesome. I think he's going to be even more awesome this year. Super excited for what we're going to see from Desmond Bain. And listen, the dude's a gym rat. There's no doubt he's got something new coming, right? It's just a matter of what it is and 
how amazing it is. Um, but love Maine, love him. Can't wait to see it. That being said, we sort of again know what he is. Now we're going to talk about a guy who I think we all thought we knew what he was for this team after this season, but we're still kind of in limbo with old Brandon Clark, our our other resident Canadian, right? It's there's it's a little bit of a mystery. I personally can't imagine a world where they don't sign him to an extension. I think that that you know they waited till the last second to get Jaron signed the other year. It's been a little bit more quiet with Brandon this go around. There haven't been as many affirmations of hey, it's definitely happening, but I can't imagine a world where she doesn't come back. That being said, it's still not out there, right? And I think that we had a little bit of a rocky year that people forget about with Brandon Clark, right? His sophomore year was sort of the ugly middle of what would end up being a beautiful sandwich, right? It was this, the bread looked great on that sandwich. Both sides, artisan, sourdough, beautiful bread. The middle was Kroger brand deli ham. <laughs> it just wasn't impressive, right? To the point where some of us were wondering personally, I say some of us, I'll just own this, if Xavier Tillman may have taken BC spot in the rotation because he'd been so consistent on a year where Brandon had struggled. But Brandon came back last year and was obviously amazing, did so much for this team, and really was pivotal to their success. So with that, your thoughts on Brandon Clark, not necessarily coming in this past year, because I think that sort of is what it is. You were where you were with it. But the, after this past year, I mean, he you can't not sign him, right? Oh, no, I think you have to sign Brandon Clark. I mean, yeah. uh, regardless of what you do with him, I mean, you know, if they I – don't, I, I really doubt they'd ever do this. But if for some reason you trade him away, I think you have to sign him regardless. Because, I mean, you look at what he brought you this past year. Obviously, that sophomore, like you said, was kind of brutal to watch. I want to say he didn't like he had a lot of confidence in himself for some reason. That sophomore, you know, he was missing shots that he made in his in his rookie year, and I think this past season that he got back into himself a little bit and started hitting those really efficient shots and started being you know the player that he was his rookie year. Um, but me personally, I think a lot of people out there would agree with this. I would resign him absolutely because you got to think he won you at least one playoff game this past year against Minnesota. And uh, we uh, – <laughs> you talked about, um, you know, go and the, the Timberwolves signing Gobert and eliminating the matchup problems in the uh, – I think Chris's podcast uh, this past week. They didn't really have an answer for Brandon Clark, you know, in that, in that series this year. Um, he really had his way. I think it was – I'm looking at his uh, stats for game. He had 20 points in game three and eight rebounds. Um, and a game he's still uh, minus one. Um, the next game he had uh, 15 and five. He's plus 13. I mean, you got to think. I mean, that little stuff right there doesn't. And you can't really tell. You have to watch him play. But uh, I think there there's not a world where I can imagine like don't resign Brandon Clark. Well, and that second year, it was. You'll never know how much it was, but BC, how much of it was the coaching staff. But he was just not doing what he is best at right and he was just not getting to that little floater that we saw him get back to this year that second bounce the inside game he was trying to shoot that three ball he was obviously not shooting it well I think that lack of confidence in the three ball bled over into a lack of confidence in everything else kind of like you were saying but come back to this past season 
And you want to talk about efficiency. I mean, he shot, what was it? Where am I? 64% from the field. We're not going to talk about the three-point percentage again. That's not him. But his effective field goal percentage was 65%. The really only knock you have is that his free throw percentage was the same as his effective field goal percentage, give or take. So that could go for a little bit of an improvement. But all in all, he was a definition of consistency for that Grizzlies team. I mean, if there was a game where he was missing his little floaters on the inside or if he looked like he lacked a little bit of bounce, I mean, it was like you, almost all of those could be traced to a, it was a back-to-back type of game, right? There's, it was shocking to see him not nail all those floaters. And he developed a nice little mid-range shot, which is funny that his free throws are still a little iffy because he'd shoot that mid-range shot and I actually got the point I was kind of confident in it by the end of the year, which is not something I would have expected to say. But on a team that is going to be predicated on a lot of pace, on a lot of we want to get up and down the court, and then you're going to have a lot of long ball shooting on a team that's not traditionally been great at shooting a long ball. Having someone that you can go to, just give it to them inside, have them do a little cut off of the perimeter, whatever it is, get to that floater, and it's a borderline 70% make shot is critical, right? And so with regards to the extension part, just to sort of get this out of the way, I think it's the same thing as sort of Jaron. They're working out the bits and kinks. They're working out the exact details of it. You know, he wants to get as much money as he can. The Grizzlies front office has shown they want to give guys as much as they can without handicapping the team, right? And so they're going to get there, right? Unless there's some kind of big shoe drop in in one of these big name trades, something like that. It's going to happen, which I don't see them wanting either Durant or Donovan Mitchell. So I don't, I rest in sort of easy that Brandon Clark is going to be here in a real street blue for quite a few more years. So go ahead and push that aside. Looking ahead into this next season, they've brought in some bigger body guys that are going to be playing that sort of three, four position. Brandon Clark is probably the closest thing to a one position guy on this team, right? But you could say small ball center, but it's really, he plays center so that Jaron can be on the perimeter and then come defend at center, right? Um, but you brought in a Jake LaRavia, you brought in a David Roddy, Kenny Lofton Jr. He's not there yet. So I'm not going to include him in that, but do you think BC's minutes or role on this team get shifted by those new guys coming in? Or do you think he does what BC's been proven to be awesome at, which is come in, play that four, uh, play that four position and just get rebounds and knock down short little floaters. Do you think that changes at all? Um, if it does change, I don't think it's because um, of the new guys. Um, I think the first few months while Jaron is out, he's going to have maybe a little bit of an expanded role. I mean, it depends what they want, how they want to run it out. Um, but he is pivotal with that second unit because he provides you energy on defense. He provides you energy on offense, on the boards. You know, like you said, if he can get to his spot with that little floater, you know, he, he, you know, that's, that's a really big part of his game. Um, I guess maybe the only one that I could see him his, in that scenario changing is because of Roddy. Because, I mean, they're, they're kind of alike, but not really. I mean, I think Roddy's definitely a better outside shooter than he is. There's no doubt about that. Definitely got a better looking shot than he does. That's for sure. Um, most people do. Yeah. Most people do. <laughs> I probably have a better shot than Brandon Clark, but, uh, <laughs> um, no, I think – I mean, I think for, for the most part, he'll stay the Brandon Clark that we know and love, and I don't expect him to come in and have a bigger role or a smaller role for that matter. Um, 
which I think is good for him because he knows what he's best at. And I don't think that – I could be wrong, but I don't think that changing, you know, what he's doing at where he's at now would be great for him, in my opinion. Um, now, he could be adaptable. He could easily, change, you know, do that. But I think that he stays overall where he's at right now. I have a strong opinion on the question that I asked. Imagine that. I don't think you could change Brandon Clark's role and it not be a massive mistake. I mean, we saw what happened when we tried to do it the first time. We've already talked about it on this podcast. It does not work. And listen, he's been, it already been a video out of him trying to work on his three point shot. Awesome. We saw that video last offseason, right? And if he's able to s- somehow knock down threes at a 35% rate, then I'm not going to be complaining. But I think trying to experiment with him trying to do that is a mistake. And I think the only change that's going to be in Brandon Clark's role this coming year is going to be a positive from the rookies. Because what we saw a little bit of last season was BC's ability to play with Steven Adams or another big man while defensively rock solid, right? Offensively, it's like you can't space the floor. You just don't have enough shooting in the modern NBA with those two guys on the floor at the same time. But you didn't really have a one through three that was a consistent shooter all the time, right? Let's say you're able to bring in LaRavia, and now you keep BC in that second unit, but you bring in LaRavia in that second unit. Now you have Tyus running the point. We'll assume Conchar at the two. We'll put LaRavia at three, BC at four, and then Tillman, whoever at five, right? Insert person here. Then all of a sudden you've got three capable shooters and you'll have one that's probably a really good shooter out there. One of those guys will end up being an awesome shooter, but guys you have to guard on the perimeter all of a sudden the spacing's not as big of an issue as it was before, right? And so BC can just play in that exact same role he was in before and thrive. Now, is that guaranteed? No. We got to get LaRavia shooting the ball, which, again, I don't think that'll be an issue. He'll pull the trigger when the season comes around. Um, you got to see how Conchar does in an expanded role, et cetera, et cetera. You never know. There's a lot of variables, but – I anticipate that being the change. And I know there's a lot of stuff going around on Twitter right now. Do you think BC is going to be starting? Who do you think fills in while Jaron's out? Personally, I don't see any reason you wouldn't go with a job, Bain, Zaire, Brooks, Adams lineup. It just, I mean, we had Dylan Brooks guarding Carl Anthony Towns in the playoffs last season, right? Which part of that's on Cat for not doing something about it, but Part of it's also Dylan Brooks is an intense defender who can defend guys bigger than him. Consistently has and consistently will. So I that is the lineup I see coming out. I don't see why you wouldn't roll with that lineup. I'm not the smartest guy in the room, hence why I don't have the coaching job there. But I imagine that'd be what it is. BC still comes off that second unit and thrives. But where do you land on that? Because that's listen, that's a point of contention amongst Grizz fans. I'm an Anna animalistic way animosity way i don't know words are kind of hard sometimes in a mean way but something that everybody's sort of debating no one really knows where it's going to land what are your thoughts on that do you think he stays in that second unit or you think he comes into the starting unit i think it would be best for him to stay in that second unit um like you said i mean i'm definitely not the smartest guy in the room when it comes to this stuff either hence why i'm not coaching the memphis grizzlies right now um but i think in my humble opinion, um, and yours, and I'm assuming many others, um, it'd be best for him. It goes back to knowing what he's good at and 
changing his role, right? I mean, I don't think it'd be beneficial for him or the team if he did step into a starting role. Um, because I think, he, I mean, you lose on both ends. I mean, you, you lose that energy off the bench that you, that you would need. And I, mean, I, I just don't think that it'd be that big of a difference if he, if he did start than when he's come off the bench, in my opinion. Um, no, I'm, yeah, no, I'm with you. Uh, I think he should stay on the bench. I think he will stay on the bench and then come off that. He really go with that second unit. Um, yeah, I don't think there's any reason to, for that to change because I think that lineup that you said um, is probably what they will go with unless something crazy happens uh, for the rest of the season on opening night, um, which would be great. <laughs> uh, I'd love, love to see that lineup out. But, uh, yeah, no, I mean, that's – I mean, yeah, that's, that's that's all I got with that one, really. Well, and we'll see what the roster does, right? Yeah. There's still – I can't imagine they don't make some kind of shift. I mean, I think once Mitchell gets traded to the Knicks, which it's going to happen. I mean, I can't imagine Mitchell being anywhere other than the Knicks this coming season. But you got Bogey, probably get traded. He's old. He doesn't fit a rebuild-type mold. You got – Jordan Clarkson, who's older than you would think. He's not old, but he's older than you'd think, right? He's sneaky old. Go look it up. Huh? Okay. Go look it up and tell me. You will be surprised. And then you've got stuff moving parts there. So there's changes that could come. But my problem, and I want to hit on this real quick before we wrap up, with BC and that starting lineup is that Brandon Clark next to Steven Adams, next to Dylan Brooks, is not going to work because you hit on the same exact problem we were just talking about, which is you've got Ja, who's going to be an improved shooter this year, right? His shot's only going to continue to improve. You got Bain, who's an amazing shooter. But between Ja and Dylan, you don't have either one of those guys who you're just selling out to defend at the three, right? Whereas you put in that other lineup we were talking about, you've got Tyus, who can knock down shots. You have to go out and defend it. You've got Conchar, who's proven to knock down those shots. You got to go out and defend it. And you've got a Laravia or a Roddy, probably Laravia, who, for all intents and purposes, is going to be able to knock down that shot, right? But you put them in a starting lineup, all of a sudden that problem is there. Things get condensed. Jaw can't thrive, and you can't space the floor. So that's my issue with that. It's not that I don't think Brandon could be an awesome starter. I personally wanted him to start in the playoffs next to Jaron when we kept rolling Tillman out there, but that's okay. No reason to pick that bone today. But in general, I just don't see any reason to throw BC in that starting lineup next to Adams. But I could be wrong. You could have David Roddy. They're trying to find reasons to get Roddy minutes. I wouldn't complain about that. I think David Roddy is going to be awesome. But personally, if I had to say, much to my dismay, Roddy will probably just get a bunch of small ball minutes this year or fill in in case of injury. But I saw you saying, what was it? What was it? Men's 30 years old. Mm-hmm. That is cr- – I could have sworn he just got in the league like two or three years ago. It seems like he's – man. That's because he just got 30. awesome two or three years ago. Yeah, that, that's right. Yeah. But Jordan Clarkson is not a young man, right? It's People get – it surprises you how old he is, right? Um, and NBA years, and NBA years, for all our listeners out there, if you are past 30, it's okay. You're not old. You're good. You're 30 years young. In the NBA, you're 30 years old. And so I just want to throw that out there. Um, sneaky, sneaky old Jordan Clarkson is. But, um, yeah, BC, he would not fit in that starting lineup, in my opinion. But um, he's, he's more incapable of being a starting lineup player, just not with this team. But 
That being said, I think BC is going to get that contract signed. I think he's going to be in that second unit, and he's going to be a part of a second unit that thrives much more than people anticipate this coming season. There's going to be some ups and downs, guys. There's going to be some stuff that goes back and forth. There's going to be some figuring things out with these new guys. Don't worry. By the end of the year, it's all going to come together. It's all going to come together. But with that, do you have any more thoughts on BC and his role with the team this coming season? Are we pretty well agreed he's going to sign the extension? He's going to be in the second unit. He's going to be amazing again. Yeah, no, I am very heavily – well, I'm in – obviously I'm in favor, but I do think that it's best for him, in my opinion, unless something absolutely crazy happens. And obviously it's best for Memphis right now if he does sign an extension. I do think they're working on it. Uh, I mean, I guess the fact that nobody's heard absolutely anything about it recently is just kind of freaking people out a little bit, which is understandably so, um, especially after the season he just you know just had this year. Um, but I, I mean, really, it's 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 really tough to imagine a world where he doesn't resign this year, honestly. Um, but like you said, I mean, it's not completed yet, um, so anything could happen. But I am. I'm pretty um, – I'll probably say I'm 95% sure he will sign a contract extension with the Grizzlies. Now, if, I, if, that, if they come back and this is, doesn't happen and I look incredibly stupid, I'm going to be a little upset. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, I mean, I'm looking forward to seeing him, you know, in Bill Street Blue for a little while more. Um, I think he – culture-wise, he is a crucial piece of this team. I mean, obviously, they all love playing with each other. Um that's a that's an aspect of it you got to think about too. I mean, how will this affect everybody else if he does leave, and with the intangible stuff like that? Um, but yeah, no, I think he stays. I think his role stays the same. I think he keeps being the same awesome BC that we know and love. Maybe even gets a little better. Maybe he still continues to improve. I think he will. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I'm 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 excited to see what he what you know what he brings this year. Yeah, listen, honestly, it's, what's kind of weird to me is how quiet it has been. Because I'm sort of sitting there like Jaron's contract extension we kept hearing about, but we all knew Jaron was going to get a, a, a whole lot of money and Clark probably won't get that type of money. So it makes a little sense for it to be a little bit quieter. But yeah, I'm not worried about it. I, if he doesn't get re-signed, I'll be more so, I'll be upset about the fact he's not signing other than me feeling dumb. I feel dumb on a daily basis. That's nothing new to me. That's okay. Brandon Clark not being a Grizzly that will make me sad but not to worry I think he's going to be here next year don't think I have anything to worry about we'll have another fun year with him being a part of this young core but with that that is going to wrap up these two guys on the deep dive pod but don't go just yet we have deep dive articles coinciding with these podcasts so when you come into this the first guy that we talk about every week is going to have an article coming out later in the week as well and so Ian is going to be delivering us some deep dive stuff on Desmond Bain and giving us some insights, not only on what happened this past year and what he was able to do with the team, but what does that look like this year? What is he going to be doing coming to the season? What are some areas for improvement and things that he's going to do that are new for his game? And so we'll have that coming out. We'll have some new stuff coming out for some new guys, this podcast, and then the next week's Monday podcast be the last time you only have myself and either Chris or Ian on here we're gonna have some new Grizzly dudes coming on here giving you some new insights probably taking us out of a job like we're taking Daniel out of a job but that's okay because the goal is to provide quality Grizzlies content we all love the team we just want to see them thrive if we can provide better coverage of it and that means I have to shut up 
so be it. Good luck getting me to shut up, but that's fine. We'll roll with it. But Ian, anything about that piece coming out you want to throw out before we, we get off of here? Or you just want people to stay tuned and see what happens on the middle of this week? Oh, no, man. I'm, I'm really excited about it. Um, like you said, uh, it's going to give a pretty deep dive, not in just last year, but, you know, what to expect for this year for Desmond. Um, like I said earlier in the pod, I, uh, I'm going to in- include those clips of him brushing up with LeBron a little bit. It's going gonna, it's gonna to keep it a little interesting in there. Uh, but, yeah, no, it's going to be really interesting to see for you guys to read it. Uh, and just real quick, I just want to say thank you, all you guys who listen to us, who read all of our stuff. Um, you guys really do mean a lot. It really, it's really, we're really appreciative of you guys. Um, and we look forward to, you know, keeping the good content coming out for you guys. So thank you once again. Man, I couldn't have said it better myself. Listen, we've had a lot of fun back and forth with some fans on Twitter this past week. And that's, that's so much fun for us guys, being able to engage with you, knowing one that you're listening, but two, that we're providing stuff that's worth listening to, worth reading, where we can have some in-depth conversations. That's what we want to do here at Grizz901 at Grizzlead is not just provide general content on the team, but what does it mean? What is, like, what is it? Why does it matter that that's happening? And so ha- happy that we're able to accomplish that when our goal is to keep doing that throughout the summer. And so look for Ian's article. It'll be coming out on either Tuesday or Wednesday of this week. So Look out for that. If you haven't yet, go check out Chris Ingram's latest article on Stephen Adams, a big Kiwi, got himself a deep dive to start us off and really awesome stuff in there from Chris per usual. And so we got podcasts going along with that. Lots of stuff to check out. Official David Roddy fan club. I have to keep mentioning that. We're going to stamp that. We're going to push that through. We are the official David Roddy fan club. Nothing to do with this podcast. We're just going to keep, keep it going, right? We should uh, we should try to get some merch, some merch that uh, says official David Roddy fan. We'll, Every, we'll see. You know, I'm always is, pushing for that. I'm always pushing I mean, for that kind of stuff. Yeah. So yeah, we'll, guys, we'll ever, see. Ever since Nate, you know, called it back uh, a few weeks ago, man, we bought, we've been pushing it really hard. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. Fight, Daniel. But, Feel free to DM Daniel Greer on Twitter at Daniel Greer if you want to get some David Roddy merch. We're, uh, we're kind of trying to pressure him for that right now, but Anyways, in the meantime, check out all that other stuff again. Some great content. Look forward to Ian stuff coming out. Look forward to having some new guys coming on soon. We're going to keep teasing that. But in the meantime, have a great week. Enjoy everything you've got going on. Be nice and tell your friends.